be seated. Thank you for worshiping so powerfully this morning. It is good to be in this room with you. I want to share with you something this morning that's very personal, and it will probably be very personal uh, to many of you. Many of you in this room um, will feel the the impact of this, maybe in ways that others around you may not. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about an acquaintance that seems to be uh, traveling with me and my life more and more every day. I want you to listen close and see maybe if you can name him. Some of you know him well. Uh, Some of you know him better than I know him. Some of you have known him longer than I have known him. Some of you have only met him in passing, or you have only met him at a distance. Honestly, I'm not sure if he is a friend or an enemy. Often I can't trust him, but I do learn from him things that are very helpful Sometimes I think he's a monster. I will say that out loud. He's a monster. Sometimes I think he's a pest. Sometimes he's a catalyst to a more intentional day. He'll punch me some days. He sneaks up on me. He paralyzes me. Some of you know that he can poison a good day rapidly. He bites, he stings, he nags. Unfortunately, he is faithful because often I wished he would just go away. There really is only one other acquaintance in life that even makes him bearable, and her name is Hope. For the riddle solvers in this room, you know by now that the acquaintance I'm speaking of is grief. There are many things that we have to be thankful for in this life. And one of those richest treasures that we have to be thankful for is the glorious good news that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we can have hope in grief. That's good news. You live among people today that if they do not know Jesus... To think about death and dying brings rapidly a sense of hopelessness. But if we know Jesus Christ today, when we deal with grief, we have the great promise and reason for hopefulness. Amen. It's a good word. Good news. If you've had or you're having an up-close and personal encounter with him, you may find the ability to be encouraged around grief as shocking. You may find that too good to be true. You may find that to be unbelievable. But this is the difference that Jesus makes. That's the difference that Jesus makes. By the grace of God, he doesn't want us. God doesn't want us to be uninformed about what we have even in grief and he writes in first thessalonians where we are this morning about 
living with grief and living with grief with hope. So I ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're continuing through this study, through this uh, chapter, or through this letter, this book, and we've come to the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, uh, let me just say a, a word to you. You're going to hear some things today that... Uh, it, the Lord might just speak to you and say, there's something he wants to respond. Um, you're speaking my language when you say amen, all right? You're speaking my language. When, when you say, come on, you're speaking my language. When you say, that's right, you're speaking my language. You lift your hand or you clap your hands, you're not clapping for me, you're clapping for the Lord, you're clapping for his, the truth of his word, the difference that he's made in your life and I want you to get into this moment and just get settled into a chair and be able to check the box. What I'm praying this morning is that what we look at in these verses today would set some of you free from being paralyzed in grief. That would give you this reminder and this hope and as God's word says, an encouragement as you deal with grief. And so just to let me know you're here this morning, just how about just speak my language just a little bit with an amen. Amen. All right. What about a come on? Come on. All right. Now, you've heard yourself speak this morning, all right? You know you can do it. In my life as a pastor, when I come to these verses, I realize, I start thinking about death, and I think about um, what, what happens in death. And maybe just in my world, it's, it's around me more. But um, I think back over the last 30 years, there's been, um, there's been 123 times that I have stood and spoken at a funeral. And in those 123 times, I'm confident that more than 100 of those, I have read these very verses that I'm reading today. These verses are meant to be given as encouragement. So why those verses over and over again? There's one very practical reason. When I was 26 years old and I just walked into Cleveland, Tennessee to be a pastor at Macedonia Baptist and the first time I'd ever pastored, within those first few days, a lady by the name of Kitty um, Carter passed away. I had not met her. I knew her husband, Charles Carter, and I was asked to be a part of the funeral as the new pastor. And it was the first funeral that I had been a part of as pastor. And on that day, one of the great gifts God gave me was a retired pastor named Brother R.T. Roberts. And he stood beside me at that grave that day. And I needed him more that day than they needed him. And I remember coming into that, talking to him. And he said, I said, what do I do? He's, and he told me where to stand. He told me what to say. He told, and I was like, there's a big difference between seminary class and the graveyard. And, and he said, at the end, you don't need to say much. Just read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And so for more than 100 times at 100 funerals, I've done that over the years. And the reason for that is it was good advice, but it's also exactly what the Apostle Paul said these words were for. Now look at it with me. Verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, 
that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though Jesus, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words two things the apostle paul wanted the believers in thessalonica to know there have been many things that he even said you already know or you know these things or you're doing these things or i want to remind you of these things but when you get to verse 13 he speaks to them about some things they didn't know that he wanted them to know and he seems to be answering questions for them Remind you that Paul's in Corinth at this time. He sent Timothy to Thessalonica to find out how the believers were doing. Timothy has come back to Paul and given him a report. And apparently based on these verses, he's answering some questions that they had about death, about dying, about Jesus' return. And so he comes to them and he says, look, I, I want to I fill you in on this. And two things he wanted them to know. He said, I want you not to be uninformed about those who had fallen asleep. If you learn these verses or are familiar with these verses in another translation, maybe like me, you remember these verses as being, I want you to uh, not be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. He's, I want you to have knowledge about those who have fallen asleep. I don't want you uninformed. I don't want you ignorant. I want you to have knowledge. I want you to be informed about those who have fallen asleep. You, you read this verse and you may be asleep. What, why is he talking about asleep? Asleep is the Christian way in the New Testament that you often hear death spoken of. And there's a, there's a reason for that. Uh, some people have, have said it could be that sleep is used to refer to death because of the stillness of a body like a person who is still when they're sleeping. Some people have said that it is because it's referred to as sleep because of rest from labor. That's what you do. You work all day, you sleep at night, you work the next day, sleep at night. We see sleep as a rest from labor. Others say it's, it's because sleep was temporary. When we lay down to go to sleep, we say goodnight. We expect to be able to say good morning the next day. We see it as temporary. And the, the picture actually, actually is all three together. This word is the Greek word that's used here is the same uh, word that we get our word cemetery from. And it means a place of sleep. That word for cemetery is a place for sleep well the Christian idea of sleep is this that there is stillness rest from labor of this life and it is temporary in nature and the apostle Paul is saying I don't want you to be ignorant about those who are experiencing this 
it, it's a picture, a metaphor for death. And then the second thing he says, I want you to not, I, I want you to not be grieved as others who have no hope. He speaks to them about grief. He says in uh, verse 13, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do. Now, some things that he's pointed out here is is this. It it is the truth for us that grief is universal. He wants them to not be ignorant of those who have fallen asleep, but he also wants us to know how we process grief he he doesn't say for the believer that you are not to experience grief it's not wrong or sinful it doesn't mean you're far from the Lord if you experience the pain and sorrow of death the separation of death the the sense of loss it's if you know Christ you're going to grieve if you do not know Christ you're going to grieve But he says there's a difference. There is a difference. And the difference is what we have in our grief. And he says it's hope. He says you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. What is hope? What is that? The hope Apostle Paul speaks of here is is something that's joyful. It's something that is confident, and it's based on something that is going to happen in the future. And when we grieve and we experience the pain of that in this life, we can have a joyful, confident expectation of eternal life through Jesus Christ. You sit this morning, and you're carrying grief in your soul, in your mind, in your life. I want to remind you. Jesus Christ himself, when he approached the grave of Lazarus, you learned this verse early. It says, Jesus, he comes to that grave and it says, Jesus what? Wept. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the one who would die and rise again, and the one that was about to raise Lazarus back to life stood there with the emotions of grief. We're going to experience grief, but because of Jesus... We can have hope. We can have a joyful, expectant, confident belief that there is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now, what is the basis of this hope? Uh, When I say to you, you, there is a joyful confidence and expectation of eternal life, how, how do you know? What's that based on? We're not just coming up with good positive statements. He says, verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Here's the basis of our hope. The basis of a joyful, confident expectation that there is eternal life in, through, and with Jesus Christ is based on these two facts of Jesus' work. Jesus died and Jesus rose again. 
And if you believe that Jesus died and you believe that Jesus rose, the basis of your hope is on that so that you can believe that he will return. And those go together. The basis of our hope of his return is built on our faith that he died and rose again. And so right there, we bring our grief, we bring our belief, we bring our hurt, our pain, our sense of separation, and we believe Jesus died, Jesus rose, therefore there is hope that we too will rise one day and he will return. Alistair Begg says that the first pledge of our resurrection from the dead is his resurrection from the dead. We're not just kind of wishing that this all works out. We have the historical truth of a Savior named Jesus who did die, who was buried, and did rise again. And, and don't miss this. This was news to them of how it mattered in death. He hadn't written 1 Corinthians 15 yet by the time they read this letter. The, the doctrine of the resurrection and the return of Christ was still coming together in the writings of the New Testament. One of the earliest letters is this letter to the Thessalonians. And, and here he, he's saying, look, hear this I want you to know this here's the news they had they had built their life on this belief that Jesus was coming again the apostle Paul had said you're pursuing you're, you're to pursue holiness there's some things for you to abstain from there's some things for you to aspire to there are some things for you to abound in. And now he's telling them there's something for you to anticipate. And it, at the end of every chapter is this mention of the return of Christ. And so here they are living every day in faith in Jesus Christ, walking in Christ, pursuing holiness. And you know what's happening around them? Family members, church members are dying. They're being buried they're being lost in death. And they've heard Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Well, in their mind, it's, well, if we've believed and Jesus is coming back, but they die before Jesus comes back, how does that all work out? And the Apostle Paul is saying, there's a reason for you to be encouraged. I have good news for you. The good news that comes for life after death is based on what you believe in this life. And that's why this morning when I talk about hope and grief, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I don't have anything I can give you to give you hope. For those who live this life and face death without Jesus live with hopelessness. And those who live this life and die with Jesus have hopefulness and that is because of what Jesus Christ has done in his death and his resurrection their pain point was grief over those who had believed and died before Jesus came back his return was their finish line and it was almost like they were saying it seems like somebody's moved the finish line because he hasn't come back and people are dying 
And the Apostle Paul says, no, there's a reason for you to be encouraged, and it's based on the work of Christ and the word of Christ. Look at it. The work of Christ, he says, that since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Today, if you're living with grief, today as I stand before you with grief in my heart, my hope is in the work of Christ and in the word of Christ. Not the word of this preacher, not the word of a commentary. It's in the word of Christ and the work of Christ. You see, I love, I love how Adrian Rogers put this. He said, if you have been heaven born, then you, have, then you are heaven bound. If you've been heaven born, you are heaven bound. That's our hope. That's where we rest. That's the good news for us as believers. So let me give you four words from these words to encourage you today in grief. And the first one is this, return. The first word to be encouraged by is the promise of a return. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. That's the declaration of his return. It reminds us of Acts chapter 1. When Jesus ascended to heaven in front of the disciples and the angels said, Why do you stand here the same way that you see Jesus ascending into heaven? This same Jesus, he will return in the same way. And you see this continuing to play out in the New Testament here. And the promise from God and his word is, is that Jesus Christ will return. Notice the phrasing of this. Verse 16 for, for the Lord, it's, it's not for the Lord will return. It's for the Lord himself will return. Why the emphasis? Why the wording? It's like the Apostle Paul wanted them to know that when it comes down to the end, God's not going to send somebody for you. Jesus isn't going to send the angels to get you. It's going to be so personal that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is returning. He's coming back. And in these verses, he uses, you find Lord, you find Jesus, you find Christ. He wanted them to be encouraged by the certainty of a person returning to get them. And his name was Jesus Christ. Now, he comes, this certain person comes in a certain way. You may be thinking, all right, here we go. I've already been asked this morning, do you know when, Pastor? Can you tell us when he's coming? And, and I can't. Just, none of us, the Bible tells us, none of us know the day. I remember uh, 1988, I was a senior in college, and there was a book that came out. I think it was called like 99 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return, and, and it talked about this particular day. Uh, Pastor Bob Pittman at that time uh, 
canceled a trip out of town to speak to come back to preach that morning at our church because people were so up in arms about all of these predictions that Jesus was going to come back that week. And um, Adrian Rogers says that if um, someone got so lucky as to guess the day that Jesus was coming back, that God would change the date. <laughs> but there's a certain way he comes back. And these verses were not to give us details. They were not to give us the dates and times. These verses were to give us encouragement to live with in the midst of our grief. And he says that he will come in a certain way, and that way is with a cry of command. He, he will come with authority. It is the same uh, words that are used by a ship master to uh, speak to the rowers of uh, a ship. It's the same cry of command that's given by a military officer to soldiers. It's the same cry of command that a hunter speaks to his hounds with. It is, a, it is a cry of authority. It's also with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet. They both speak of something that will be known, heard. Three, three, three things. This, the cry of a command, the archangel, the voice of an archangel, the sound of a trumpet means that his return will be unmistakable. You, you won't, we won't be standing around thinking... Um, I think that's him or I think that was the return it, it, it'll be unmistakable if you know Jesus Christ it'll be unmissable it'll be so clear when he returns you, you you won't be the last to find out it won't be like you missed it it'll be universal the whole world will know Matthew 24 40 speaks of some being taken when they're asleep at night and it speaks of others being taken when they're working on the farm it gives you the picture of different time zones picture of different parts of the world it'll be day for some it'll be night for others in another part of the world but the return of Christ will be universal he says encourage people with these words Jesus Christ is returning live with that anticipation there's a second word resurrection Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. That's his return, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's resurrection. Those who have slept, those who have slept in death, believers that have died in Jesus Christ, people that you know and that you love, that are dear to your hearts, that have been buried, they died believing in Jesus Christ, this is speaking of them. If Jesus returns right now, the ones that we're speaking of in this verse would be those that have already died, knowing Christ. They will rise from the dead. Where's the confidence for that? The confidence for that is that Jesus Christ himself rose. Jesus Christ stood at the tomb and raised others to life. He was the one that called Lazarus out of the grave when he had been dead for four days. The answer to their concern about those that had died before the return of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, be encouraged. Those who died before the return of Christ are not going to miss anything. They're actually going to come with him because they're going to rise first out of the grave. Now, I know it 
questions. If you're with me, if you're here in the room right now, you, our, our minds do things. What will those bodies be like? When will that day be like? What will happen to that person and that person? What will, it, what will we experience? Will it be scary? These verses don't give us any detail. They give us truth to base our life on. Those who die in Jesus Christ will rise first before those that are alive and come with him. And here's the third word that encourages. Jesus will return. The dead in Christ will rise. And the third word is rapture. There will be a rapture of the believers that are here on this earth alive when Jesus comes back. It says in verse 17, then we who are alive. Imagine, they're reading this letter for the first time in Thessalonica. And it says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. That means today that if Jesus returns this day, those people that I long to see again, those dear friends and those dear family members will come with Jesus. And how will I get to them? The Bible says that I will be caught up from this earth. I will be snatched up. This is a picture of a, like a baby being swooped up off the ground by a big arm of their dad. It's a word that's used in other places in Scripture it's used in Acts 23 to talk about the carrying away of the Apostle Paul from people who were attacking his life. In John chapter 6, it spoke of the crowd that were trying to take Jesus by force. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip left the Ethiopian eunuch, he was carried away. In Matthew 13, 19, it speaks of the seed or the gospel, the word of God being snatched away. It's that same word here. They will be caught up. They will be carried away. They will be snatched away. And he's painting the picture of how Jesus comes back. Those who died before he came back and us who are alive if he comes today. It could be before his return that we move into a different category. And we're asleep in death. And others would be here alive. But here's the fourth word that's encouraging. That's the word reunion. Reunion. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. If you would give me the freedom to be so personal then when we who are alive Carlos today you would be caught up with your dad you would be caught up with Scott Hicks you'd be caught up with Rick Campbell you'd be caught up with Louise Wilson and W.C. Wilson there will be a reunion, friends. I don't know what kind of grief you're carrying. I don't know how close it is, how recent it's been. 
But the good news for us to be encouraged by here is this. Then when we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Hallelujah. The ultimate reunion. The ultimate reunion will be that we will all be with Jesus. Now, our emotions and our thoughts and our longings for those that we've been separated from, I, I, I think of a long list. I think of a long list. I've already given you some names of people that, and I read these verses, I'm encouraged by because it gives me the promise that I will be reunited with them. But there is here something that Paul drives home ultimately for us to be encouraged by. As great as we long to see those that have gone on before us, the greatest news, the greatest encouragement that goes beyond perhaps what we cannot even imagine is that we, both the living and the dead that know Jesus, will be with Jesus. We'll be with him. And that is the ultimate reunion. Now today, I mentioned to you that this is very personal. And it's been that way this week. Some of you have been around here long enough. Many of you have not. Uh, you walked a little bit of the way with us seems like a long time ago yet in another way it seems like yesterday nine years ago my best friend named David Landreth went on to be with Jesus David was a pastor of the Long Hollow Baptist Church in Hendersonville Tennessee David uh, was my best friend and um, he I remember the day that he called and he said, Carlos, it's David, and I want you to know that I just got this diagnosis of colon cancer, and it's a rare cancer, and it's an aggressive cancer, and it will kill me unless there's a miracle. And 20 months later, we stood beside his grave, and he was gone. Well, it's personal this week because... I just received in the mail this week this book, and you'll see it there on the screen, a book called Still Good. It's been nine years ago, but his daughter, Rachel, who you see holding his hand there on the cover, uh, took the journal entries of David over those 20 months and wove them together with her mom's journal entries over those 20 months and then told the story of how God is still good from her perspective as a daughter. I knew the book was coming. I knew that as we saw those journal entries that there would be a lot of conversations that I would remember in and out of those journal entries and I could not, I was so excited about the book and I, I thought when the book got here I would devour that book and I got it on Monday and you know here's the, here's the raw reality. I can't read it. I just can't read it. Because I grieve my friend.
first day I read the table of contents. Next day I read the preface, the forward. There's a bunch of pictures in there and I thumbed through a lot of the pictures. And each time I just have to lay it down. And I'm realizing as I held that book that my hope is not in this book. My hope is in this book. And there'll come a day where I'll be able to read it. But today, then we who are alive, who are left, We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Today, you're longing to see someone. And that grief is real. And I want to tell you, on the word of an eternal God, that in that grief, there is hope. There's hope. We will be together one day with them. But the greatest news of all is that we'll be together with him.